we will be continuing in the book of Revelation. All right. So, all right. There's a lot here today. All right, today we are doing all seven of the churches in Revelation. We are doing all two and three. All right. Now, we could easily split this into seven sermons, uh, but we don't want to be doing Revelation forever. And uh, that's not exactly the, the purpose of these letters, right? Uh, these seven churches we've said earlier, these are representative churches. They are symbolically seven that they might represent uh, the whole of the church from resurrection to second coming. And so we see ourselves in these churches. Every church sees themselves in these churches. And so we're going to look at uh, some of the themes that, that draw them together, who Christ is. And ultimately, uh, we're going to look at three different kinds of churches that are addressed here. First, there are churches that have lost their kingdom purpose. They've forgotten who they are. And they are in the worst and most dire of circumstances. There are those churches that are suffering and being persecuted. And they are called to perseverance. To endurance. And finally, there are those who are kind of mixed. That... Idolatry has entered in and taken root, and it needs to be cast out. Now, in all of this, we see ourselves. We see our, our church. We see our lives. And the hope is that we might look to Jesus, that we might know him and see him. We're going to see seven different iterations of, of who he comes to, as a, what he comes to as, as the church. And we're going to see the promises that he offers them if they conquer and endure. And so with that, uh, I want you to, to focus on, on that. There's a ton here, too much here. And we're going to read through all of it. You're going to see every, every word. Notice who Jesus says that he is and the gifts that he gives to those who conquer. That is the power of this section of scripture and will enable us to avoid the pitfalls that, uh, that would attempt to ensnare us and divide us and keep us from Christ. So, with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do not leave us in the dark. We thank you that Jesus walks among us, that he is tending the lampstands, and that he has sent these letters to the early church and to us. Father, we ask that, Holy Spirit, you would, you would fill us up, that we would have ears to hear, the things that are being said to the churches and to us. Lord, would we not be um, cold-hearted or closed off to these challenges. Father, not quick to make excuses, but would we long to please you and to burn brightly in the world for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So first we're going to look at the churches that have so lost their way, they are in danger of no longer being churches at all. This is the first and the seventh church. The kind of bookends. And they desperately need to be brought back. Starting with the church of Ephesus. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. 
how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you, and I will remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And what has happened in Ephesus? Now, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing some things well and other things not so much. They've sorted out their theology. They've sorted out their theology and they have kicked out all the false uh, teachers. They have resisted temptation in that sense. And internally, they're doing really well. But this I have against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Now, just notice something. It's, this isn't this kind of like amorphous, are you sure that you love? No, it, that's where the, the Bible, it tends to attach love and, and deeds together. And what does he say? He's saying, you stopped doing the things that you did at first that reflected the love of God the love that you had for Christ, the delight you had in the gospel. You've stopped doing those things. And what are those things? What are those works that they have stopped doing? It's not that they've abandoned Jesus. They haven't gone over to idolatry. No, they have stopped sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have stopped proclaiming his word that out of the love, they're supposed to overflow and, and share the life that they have been given. But their love has gone cold and their witness has gone cold. And as a result, what, what is going to happen if they do not repent? You will remove themselves, they will remove them as a lampstand. Right, what does that mean? It means they will no longer be the church. They will be cut off and they will no longer be one of the seven. All right, why such drastic measures for just a failure to witness? All right, All right. that is what the lampstand is. That's what it does. Why is it there? It is there to be a light in the darkness. That the Holy Spirit burns brightly and they proclaim the gospel to the world. They are shining for the world to see. And if they have failed to do that, then they are no longer the church. They are no longer a lampstand. And this one who walks among the lampstands and tends the lampstands and holds them in his hand, he's going to remove them. Now, what should they see? They should see that Jesus, he is in their midst. He is walking among them and he cares for them and he will see them through their witness. Like, He's not going to abandon them if they go out into the world. 
This is his passion. This is the thing that he loves. He holds them in his hand. He will not abandon them. But it feels like they've built tall walls so that nothing evil might get in for fear that they might be destroyed. And ironically, in doing that, the Lord himself says he will destroy them because they do not trust to go out into the world bearing the light of Christ with the one who says, I be with you always to the very ends of the age. Now, they have missed who Christ is. They have missed who they are. And they have missed the, the promise that is offered to them. Now, these promises tend to go right along. And in this case, if you share and you are faithful to proclaim the word, if you share about me, then I will share as well. I will share with you the fruit of the life, the fruit of the tree of life that sits in the very presence of God. I will give you the eternal life that you, you are trying to hold on to. No, I will give it to you. Do not cut yourself off from the world. Go into the world and bear the light of the gospel. In the words of Matthew, Jesus speaking, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a, lamp, under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What does this mean for us? No, there's the, the individual way of looking at it. We could say, are you out spreading the word? Are you sharing? Are you looking for opportunities? Are you praying for opportunities? And then there's this other side of it that says, as a church, do we want people to come? Do we want people to hear? Or do we want to build the walls high and protect ourselves and keep ourselves pure from the world or just happy in our, in our places. All right, what does this remind me of? This reminds me of uh, when, uh, so I'm the youngest and we're starting to watch my siblings get married. And we had my first uh, brother-in-law visit. And we sat down for our quiet little meal. And what does he do? First off, he starts singing, Beans, Beans, the Magical Fruit. <laughs> Which he knew really well. And there's like multiple verses. I'd only heard the first verse. But like, okay, so like we're like quiet and like reserved and eating our food. All right, he is not. And we realized really quickly that like we were not going to be the family that we had always been. And he joined the family and we are not the same. And what's the point? That's, that is the point. The point is that, like, you're supposed to grow. You're supposed to change. And we accommodate and, and morph as more people come to here. And we don't build it higher and try to tamp out the bean guy. Like, no, he becomes part of our culture and part of our family. And are you ready for that? Do you want that? Or do you want only familiar faces? Do you only want people who you know or who are like you? 
If so, then we are not a lampstand. We are just a relic. We are dead. And the Lord says he will come, and to those churches, they will not remain. We're going to hear this a lot, but do you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches? Now, the other, the other church in dire circumstances, Laodicea, 3.14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds and that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and so I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined with fire so that you may become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is where historical background is helpful, all right? And we are thankful that we do not go, go it alone when we read the Bible. All right, what people mostly say about this is, okay, this means being passionate for Jesus. And you should burn hot with your love for Jesus. Yeah, it's not what that means, though. All right, so we're going to figure, we're going to find out. That's true, that's true, but that's not what it's saying. All right, because it starts to not make sense because he's like, well, be hot or cold. And you're like, well, why would cold be better than lukewarm? At least you're like kind of liking Jesus. All right, but no, he doesn't say that. He says, no, be one or the other. And usually we're just like, I don't know, it's, I guess it's better to go to hell really firmly. Like, no, it's not. So, uh, all right, so if it doesn't make sense, maybe we don't understand. And that's where uh, we're thankful for people who know a lot. Uh, and we can refer to them. So, history. All right. So this city, Laodicea, it sat in the midst of two other cities. And they had water sources. Laodicea did not. All right. On the one hand was a Hierapolis. And the Hierapolis, they were odd because they had hot springs. And they were known for having these healing waters. And you could go and, and bask in the health of these hot springs. Now on the other side was Colossae. And Colossae had these crystal cold waters. And it was thought, oh, like there's purity there and health. And so we have these two sources of health, hot and cold. And yet, here is Laodicea. And when the waters get there, what do they become? They become just warm and nasty. And they're not... They're not life-giving like these two other sources. All right, 
So what is he saying? He's saying that, basically insulting their water source and saying that like, hey, your, your terrible water is indicative of your terrible spiritual life. All right, it's kind of like saying, uh, if someone were to say, you're as spiritually healthy as a fish from the Elk River, right? Have you heard the story about the Elk River? You're like allowed to eat like three ounces a year. It's just like, if that's it, you probably shouldn't have any. Like, all right, it's, he's insulting them through their water, but like, hey, as, as nasty and as unhealthy as your water is, you don't realize that's actually you spiritually. Because, because, what do they go around doing? They're shouting about how rich they are. We are rich. And there's industries in this town, and it's, once again, historical. They were known for gold refineries. They were known for the rich tapestries. And they were known for making this eye salve that would help. All right. And the problem is that the way they got rich was that they had accommodated the various gods over each of these industries. So how did it work? You had to be part of a guild, kind of like a union. And the unions, they were religious. Everything was religious. And so to be part of a guild, you had to offer sacrifices to your guild gods. The gold god and the clothing god and the salve god. And what had they done? They're, yeah, we can do that. And they did. And they got rich off of it. And then they come to God and say, look, look, you've blessed us. What is he saying? Like, no. No, I have not blessed you. You have used idolatry to become rich. And in reality... You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. You do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He twists those very same things around and says, like, no, you're naked. You don't have rich clothing. And you're blind. Your salve isn't helping you. And all the gold that you mustered, you are spiritually poor. They have traded wealth and glory in the kingdom of Jesus for wealth and riches in the kingdom of the world. And they have destroyed their witness. They have destroyed their spiritual lives. They have accommodated idolatry. And here they think they're doing so well. What are you saying? You are not healthy. You are not spiritually good. I spit you out. Now, as we think about this, right, do we find ourselves doing that same trade? Trading riches in the kingdom for riches in the world. Right. Do you ever rob God of the things that he calls you to do so that you might pursue wealth and riches? Right, the workaholics. Right, we do that. Do you ever use the energy that you should spend building the kingdom of God and instead use all of that energy and you are done because you spent it all running after this world. Or maybe, maybe you have kind of domesticated your spiritual life so that 
you make sense to the world and can interact in a, in a positive way. That's where there's a second aspect where you could also gain standing by worshiping Caesar and offer him sacrifices. And then you're like, oh, like you're a great citizen in the kingdom. And yeah, welcome on in. Come trade with us. Come be wealthy. Come, we'll take care of you. Are we willing to make those kind of compromises with the world? And say, yeah, I'll, I'll align with you if you give me what I want. Or maybe your life has just become a, the game of life. And you're riding around in your little pink car and just collecting all of the riches you can along the way so you retire in glory. And like, you realize like, that's not the game. That is not the game we're all playing. If you're a believer in Christ, like, it's not whether you make it to the, to the wealthy place, the retirement home, or the, the cruddy one, right? This is not the game we're playing. Why do you want to be rich according to the world? It's the wrong currency. And once again, where is, where is the power here? The power is in, in Jesus. And he says, he is the, the ruler of God's creation he is the faithful and true witness. He is the amen. All the things that we long for, they are yes and amen in Christ. In Christ, we have the very creator of the world. We have the one who rules over all. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. What do we do? He says, okay, You've kind of lost a relationship with me, and I'm knocking at the door. It's time to let me in. Will you let me in? If you do, you can sit on my throne. Come sit. Come sit on my throne with me. All right? You are not giving up riches. You are finding the only riches that last. You are sitting with Jesus in his throne in heaven. Repent, open the door, receive him, and find glory in him and with him. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen? All right. All right, now we're shifting gears. We're shifting and we're going to a second category of the church. This is a, the, the faithful and the struggling churches under persecution Number two and number six. Let's read these. Verse eight. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. For ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the keys of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. 
I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word with pa- about patient endurance, I will keep from you the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall you go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven, from down from God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see the contrast here between these suffering churches and Laodicea. Notice that they are poor, but they are rich. And whereas Jesus is is sitting at the door knocking, these churches, uh, the door is open and cannot be closed because it is opened with the very keys of David, the true king. Now, why are they suffering? They are suffering because, as we see, the, they have been abandoned by, by the Jews. Now, for there's a time where Christians and Jews were kind of muddied together because it was so new, they didn't know the difference. And Jewish people were protect, protected in Roman law because they were seen as a, an acceptable religious alternative. But at this point, the Jewish people have gone to the Roman authorities and said, these are not Jews. They are not of us, and we want nothing to do with them. And as a result, they are being persecuted. Now, like we said, what could they have done? They could have run to the guilds and started sacrificing and protected themselves economically. They could have run to the temples of Caesar and started sacrificing to Caesar and protected themselves politically, but no. They have remained faithful. And as a result, they are poor, outcast, and persecuted. And yet, what does Jesus say? He says, you are rich. You are rich. And if you persevere, I will give you the very crown of life. Now, what does he not say? He doesn't say that you won't have to suffer. That that was never my plan for you, and and don't worry. No, he says, actually, that some of you endure unto death. Endure unto death because I have eternal life. Because I am the living one who was dead, but who is now alive. And because if you... Die in this life to me. You will not die in the second death. You will live as I live. And you will have the same crown that I already earned. To those who have not abandoned my name, I will give you a name. I will build you up as a temple. And you will never be removed from my place. 
I love, I love how it just, again, again like, no, no one will take it from you. It'll never leave. That persecution cannot and will not remove any of the things that are promised for you in Christ. He is the first and he is the last. He's in control of all of this stuff. It's not like he doesn't know. No, he controls and he sees us through. Are you suffering for the sake of Christ? Are you outcast for the sake of Christ? Have you given up wealth and riches in this world in the name of Jesus? And you are rich. And you will rule over your conquerors, your persecutors, and they will know that you are loved by Jesus Christ. That cannot be taken from you. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen? That takes us to our third category here. All right, this is a lot of text. This is uh, three through five. And these are the blended churches. There are some that are doing, just doing terribly. There are some that are doing okay. And then there's the ones in the middle that are being infiltrated with idolatry and with, with false teaching. And some have fallen prey and some have not. All right. Strap in. Okay. Focus. Right. We are blessed when we hear these words. Notice who Jesus is and what he promises. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. You also have some to hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna. And I'll give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, the words of the Son of God who has the eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter words works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, 
I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my words. Until the end, I will give him authority over the nations. You will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from the Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And finally, to the angel to the church in Sardis, write, the words of him who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. You still have a few names in Sardis, people who are not so, have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I'll never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now what do we see? We see Jesus coming to the churches that are divided. That some have been seduced and taken over into false teaching and idolatry and sexual immorality. And yet others, others have remained faithful. And notice who, who Jesus is in this, this passage. He has the eyes like flames of fire. We saw last week that those are the words of judgment. We saw the tongue that is like a sword set to strike down. He comes in judgment. Both to judge righteous, the ones who are continuing to pursue him. And to cut down those who are not. We have Balaam. If you remember him from the book of Numbers, this was a a pagan prophet. And though he didn't curse Israel, he actually taught the people, uh, he taught this ruler, Balak, how to ruin Israel. And he said, just, just send your women to, to marry them. And they will fall into, into, into idolatry. Or Jezebel, the pagan queen who married King Ahab and led all of Israel into the worst idolatry they'd ever seen. And he's saying that just like those ones led Israel astray, those ones still walk among us. They are teachers in your church, and you tolerate them, and they will be always in the church until the very end, until Jesus' second coming. Uh, you might have stood in there also the Nicolaitans. Uh, what is that? That's probably people who are teaching that, like, you know, you can be victorious in this world by just, like, but just adapting, adapting to Caesar and submitting to him. And, you know, just, you'll have two allegiances and that's okay. You'll find victory in this world and victory in the one to come. All right. In all of this, in all of this, what are we called to? We're called to repent and to save ourselves. Right. What might this look like? 
false teachers in the church now, uh, prosperity gospel. This idea that, yeah, it's, it's not really about the riches in heaven. You can have those riches right here and right now. And God just wants you to be happy and healthy and prosperous. Right? That is a lie. That is not what we are made for. We are not meant to be rich, that we may be rich in heaven. We are, no, it's those, those poor churches suffering that are rich in the kingdom of heaven. That is where it's at. There are those who are saying that, you know what, how about we just, why do we call everything bad? Let's be more flexible. There are some laws that are not really as bad as they, they, we make them out to be. And in the name of tolerance and love, let's not call those things sin anymore. All right. That is just condemning people to death and blinding ourselves and calling what is evil good and what is good evil. We are not here to tolerate the world. We are here to, to save the world and to proclaim the gospel and, and love as Jesus loved. He, he calls people to repentance. There are those who want to worship and bow down to political figures in the name of prosperity and righteousness, even though there is no allegiance to the kingdom there. Right. Just like they did not bow to Caesar, we do not bow to our rulers and give them more than they ought to deserve. We do not give them our hearts. We do not worship. There are those who say that, you know, they can, you can have faith without works. That's just grace. No, faith without works is dead. And we do not proclaim that, you know, no, Jesus would never come and judge us. Jesus never call us to, right? This is the Jesus that we see. In his great love, he comes to free us from bondage and slavery and lies, the seduction of the world. Jesus does not tolerate everything. He calls his people to find life in him. And if you read through it, again, like, he's not calling them to do a lot of stuff. What is he saying? Like, he says, there's some of you who aren't doing those things, and what do I do? I give you no other burden than just keep doing what you're doing. Believe in me. Follow me. Just don't replace me with idols. Don't seek life in other things. Seek life in the grace that I've given. Find it in the cross. I have died for you, and I have promised you eternal life in all of these different forms. Like, if only you would just receive it and, and focus on me. Stay with me. Stay here. That's what he's calling us to. He's saying, like, look, look at me, look who I am, and I will fight the battles. I will see you to the other side. I will give you the things that you're looking for. I have you. Now, if, is that, if that is us, and to the extent that it is, what are we called to do? We are called to repent. We are called to turn away from those things and turn back to Jesus and find life in his saving grace. Right. 
church really is a mingled group. Those who have real faith in Christ and those who abandon that faith and fail to persevere. I call us to be those who persevere, who keep their eyes on Jesus, who remember where their life comes from, who live under the salvation that is found in Christ. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. Hidden manna. This is the bread of heaven. Jesus calls himself the bread of heaven. He says, come down and like, I'm, I'm the one who will give you bread. I'm the one who will satisfy your hunger. And he's saying, I, I will give you that spiritual nourishment. I will give you satisfaction for all eternity. You'll never be hungry again. You will be spiritually satisfied. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. All right. What does this mean? This means like to be known by God and to be renamed. You are no longer named in your sin and your judgment and your destruction. No, you are known as the son and daughter that you are in Christ. And that Jesus knows your name and he cares for you. What is life but to be known by him who is life itself? The one who conquers and who keeps my word until the end, I will give him authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron, a rod of iron as with earthen pots or broken pieces, even as I myself have received authority from the Father. And I'll give him the morning star. I'll give him the morning star. All right, that's a, Jesus himself calls himself the morning star. Revelation 22, he says, I, I am the morning star that's coming. This is the brightest star. In the ancient world, they would, they would, when you saw it, it meant that the dawn was coming. It was the last star that you would see at night and the brightest in the sky. It was actually Venus. And what does he say? He says, the, the glory of the brightest star I will give to you. You will shine like the stars in heaven. And this glory that is me will be shared with you. And you will be lifted up. You'll be transformed. You will be changed. What we, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Do you long for that glory? to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. To those who continue to confess the name of Christ, he will confess our name. To those who remain in him, he will write our name in the book of life. Now, as you leave here, as you leave here, what image of Jesus strikes you? It's a picture of him walking in our midst. Or the pictures of judgment. The picture is the one who is the first and the last, who knows all things and controls all things. Or the one who is who's dead and who is raised to life. 
what picture draws you and challenges you and calls you back to focus on this one? Which of these gifts and promises calls out to you? The crown of life. To stand in the presence and, and eat the tree from the tree of life. To be known by him. And to have a new name and this, this secret name that is between you and the Lord. How can we no neglect so great a salvation? Let us, let us repent of that which we need to repent. Let us persevere where we need to persevere. And let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we might have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to our church here. Father, we see ourselves in some sense in, in all of these churches, and we ask that we would not leave these things uh, here in this room, but we would pursue the repentance that we need to pursue, that we'd seek the eternal life that you have given us. Father, that we would put our faith in Jesus Christ. If there are those here who have not found life in Christ who have not received the, the crown of life, who have not put their faith in Jesus' ability to die for their sins and give them his eternal life. Father, I ask that they would put their faith in you and not in the world. Lord, we long to know you in all of your glory, to dwell with you in the heavenly places, to know the riches of your lavish and abundant grace for us. Thank you for your salvation. Would we dwell with you for all eternity? And would you keep our eyes fixed on you as we walk? We pray in Christ's name.